I'm just going to um, recommend a few books and then I'm going to press my start time. Uh, if you were here last week, we began a, a series on the spiritual discipline of fasting. Sam kicked it off last week. I'm doing week two this week and next week Brian is going to finish it, uh, finish the series. So, so I'm going to be talking about fasting today. Um, if you can just put my first slide up, Peter, please, that would be really good. So my subject today is fasting to grow in holiness. And there's a few brilliant books that I want to recommend. I know quite a lot of people like reading. Um, and we did recommend them last week verbally. I think we certainly did on the Connect Group Leaders WhatsApp group. But Arthur Wallace, um, a brilliant man of God, not alive anymore, but a real father in the faith over the last 30, 40 years, if not longer, wrote a classic book called God's Chosen Fast. I would highly recommend that. That's a pretty easy read. Um, it's, it's very small chapters, but a brilliant classic book on fasting. And then an American author called Scott McKnight has written a very good book on fasting. A little bit deeper, but a very good read. And then what is widely accepted as one of the best books on spiritual disciplines is a guy called uh, Richard Foster. He wrote a book called Celebration of Discipline. And in this book, there is a whole section on fasting and lots of other spiritual disciplines. So if you're thinking towards Christmas and somebody says, uh, what book would you like to buy me this year or what book would you like to be bought for you this year I would recommend those books so much so that actually Joe uh, Card who was playing the guitar behind me this morning came to me with a spare copy of the Scott McKnight book and said I'd like to give that to someone this morning so who would like this book come on then Lou you the only hand up god typical Christians eh? you give something free away and they think it's a catch well you go Lou you go you can have that book no worries. Wonderful. There you go, you see. Excellent. Right, here we go then. So last week, Sam spoke to us on this subject, offering yourself to God. My title today is Fasting to Grow in Holiness. And I just want to say a couple of things before we get into this section. I'm going to say a couple of things today that um, are my own personal conviction. Um, and I'm going to have to leave them with you to weigh for yourself, okay? And that's absolutely fine. They're not controversial things. They're just how I've interpreted different parts of the Bible around the subject of fasting. So I'm going, to, I'm going to be sharing a couple of those things today. But I want to just say a couple of things that I think will help us to start with. And the first thing is that fasting is not in isolation to all the other spiritual disciplines, okay? I think when you look at particularly books like uh, Richard Foster's book on the celebration of discipline, and he numbers, uh, uh, names a number of spiritual disciplines, I think they all fit together to make a whole picture of why it's really important as Christians we engage in the spiritual disciplines that God has provided for us uh, to use to help us grow and become more effective as Christians. So fasting is not in isolation to other spiritual disciplines. Having said that, and I think I'm speaking from personal experience, of all the spiritual disciplines, fasting is probably the most challenging or definitely up there amongst uh, the most challenging. And I want to echo Sam's honesty last week that fasting is to me a huge challenge. So I want you to know right from the kickoff this morning, I'm not preaching from a pedestal, 
all right? I'm not, I'm not speaking as one who has really cracked this, who is a prolific faster. I try and do it regularly, and I do try and build it into my life. But I want this particular discipline of fasting to become more, more in me. I want it to be a discipline that I practice much more than I do. And I think one of the reasons for that is that I think particularly for those of us who live in the Western world, we are consumed by things, aren't we? Our culture that we live in is one of excess and I think often greed. We have been presented to us on so many levels that we can have more, we deserve more, and life is about pursuing pleasure. And that is what is often thrown at us on on the media and from the kind of things that are said to us in this part of the world. And so I think I want to quote, and all these slides are going to come up on the screen as we go through, but to quote again what Sam put on the screen last week. Did you notice that, that Sam stole my lovely PowerPoint? Um, no, I've, I've, I've stolen his, actually. I said to Sam, would you send me your notes and your, your PowerPoint slides? And then I've just nicked all these slides and put my words in. So here we go. So, yeah, so next, next slide, please, Peter. It says this. John Marcoma, when he was putting this work together on practicing the way, he says this. Fasting is one of the most essential and powerful practices of Jesus, but we neglect it. And so before I come on to talking about um, fasting growing in holiness today, I want to just share a little something about fasting because it's not going to come up in this particular series, but I think it is really, really important. And this is one of the things that I'm just throwing at you this morning that I want you to weigh. So let's just read um, a couple of verses or two or three verses from Luke chapter 4. It says this. So Luke chapter 4 verses 1 and 2 and then Luke chapter 4 verse 14. It says this. So Jesus uh, had uh, has, is coming into his public ministry as a man and before he starts his ministry of all the things that Jesus did in the Gospels, it says that Jesus, filled with the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan River and the Spirit led Jesus into the desert where the devil tempted him for 40 days. Jesus ate nothing during that time and when those days were ended, I love this little phrase, he was very hungry. <laughs> Just, you kind of think, well, I kind of expected that he might be. So that is verse 1 and 2 of Luke chapter 4. But note that when we started reading those verses, it says Jesus filled with the Holy Spirit. But when Jesus comes out of the wilderness, just note the change of word here. In verse 14, it says, Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Holy Spirit, and stories about him spread through all the area. So Jesus goes into the wilderness filled with the Holy Spirit. He fasts, he doesn't eat for 40 days and 40 nights, and he comes out of that experience in the power of the Holy Spirit. And then you read little instant instant in, um, little stories in Mark's gospel. Here's a great example in Mark chapter 9, uh, people a father brings his demon-possessed son to his to Jesus' disciples for Jesus' disciples to cast this demon out of his son and they couldn't. And so they then bring uh, this they bring he brings his son to Jesus and Jesus delivers this man from this uh, possession of a demon in his life. And then the disciples go to Jesus and say, well, why couldn't we do this? And Jesus says in verse 29, these things can only happen by prayer and fasting. 
And the issue in, in Mark 9, verse 29, is not the issue of casting a demon out of somebody's life. What Jesus is saying there, and if you read most commentaries on this particular chapter, what Jesus is saying is if you want to operate at this level of faith, fasting is really, really important. It's not just prayer, but it is prayer and fasting. And I... And this is my personal conviction, and you'll have to weigh this, okay? But I absolutely do believe that if we want to see a great awakening of God's Spirit in our nation, if we, we use words like revival, and, and that has obviously different meanings for different people, but if we want to see a significant move of God in the world, in our nation, if we want to see the transformation of the power of God in our communities and where we live, I absolutely do believe that it is going to require a church that prays and fasts. In Arthur Wallace's book on God's chosen fast, he says... These words, well, like one, of, one of the things is going to come up now, but he also says, if we want to see God's kingdom power, we have to have God's kingdom practices. And then he says these words in the book. He says, how can we expect the power to flow if we do not prepare the channels? Fasting is a God-appointed means for the flowing of his grace and power that we can afford to neglect no longer. And it is my personal conviction that if God had a church that was really, really serious about the practice, the spiritual discipline of fasting, I do believe we would see an increased measure of God's power released in the earth. I really do believe that. Now, I'm going to leave that for you to weigh. Uh, I'm very happy for you to come back and talk to me about that. But I personally believe that if there was a church that was serious about fasting and serious about you know, that discipline... I think we would see much more of the power of God's kingdom displayed in our communities. So as I stand here today in front of you, I want to increasingly become a man who fasts. So let's come on to um, our subject today, to grow in holiness. I want to just, uh, just share with you a few quotes. Um, uh, and if you are following the Practice of the Way uh, course in your Connect group, a couple of these are actually on the video. Some I've got from other sources. But here's the first quote. Leo the Great, great, isn't it? Eh? Says these fasting gives strength against sin, represses evil desires, repels temptation, humbles pride, cools anger, and fosters all the inclinations of a goodwill, even unto the practice of every virtue. And this comes out of the Anglican Book of Common Prayer which uh, I think is really good. Thanks, Pete. Uh, next one, please. It says these words. Almighty God, you know that we have no power in ourselves to help ourselves. Keep me both outwardly in my body and inwardly in my soul, that I may be defended from all adversities which may happen to the body and from all evil thoughts which may assault and hurt the soul through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. And then my final quote comes from Scott McKnight's book on fasting. He says these words, The foundational sacred moment for discipline of the body and soul is consciousness of sin, consciousness of weakness, the need for God's empowering grace, the desire to cut back in life in order to find our true yearning to grow in love and holiness. What a great 
quote that is. Let me read that again. The foundational sacred moment for discipline of the body and soul is consciousness of sin, consciousness of weakness, the need for God's empowering grace, the desire to cut back in life, to find our true yearning to grow in love and holiness. So how does fasting help us grow in holiness? Let's have a look at holiness first. The word holy, or the word hallowed, or holy, holiness, appears over 500 times in the Bible. God is holy. God has given us his Holy Spirit to sanctify you and me. And as Christians, we are called to share in the holiness of God. In fact, there's a a verse in the Bible that God says, be holy as I am holy. So for those of us who are Christians here this morning, we are called by God to share in his holiness and to be people who live holy lives. In Matthew 16, verse 24, Jesus said this to his disciples. He says, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. To grow in holiness is to become more like Christ. And to become more like Christ requires a denial of myself. Fasting, I think, is one of the best spiritual practices we have to help create a life of self-denial. It's a way of purging and purifying our inner being, our inner self, who we really are. And I don't know about you, but the whole concept of denying myself is a tough one, isn't it? The whole concept of being willing to sacrifice myself so that I can be more like Christ is a really, really challenging thought. For me to be willing to give up those things so that I can become more like Christ is a lifelong commitment as a Christian. And the Bible uses that word sanctify. It's to become more like Christ to be those who are willing to take up our cross, to deny ourselves and to follow and practice the ways of Christ. I believe that fasting helps us to sanctify who we really are, our soul. It helps us to set ourselves apart to be holy to God. And I think when we fast in an atmosphere, in an atmosphere of prayer, And I think if we can find a place of solitude, that helps as well. I think to deny ourselves of food, so just to echo what Sam said last week, when we fast, we go without food. Some people would say, I'm going to go without, I'm going to fast from television, or I'm going to fast from social media. That's not biblical fasting, okay? It's a good practice, but that's more around abstinence, okay? Fasting is about going without food. So when we deny ourselves food, I think it creates an environment where God can begin to deeply intervene into our lives and really touch the very depths of who we are. 
In the Practice the Way video, if you're going to watch that this week, either in your group or on your own, John Mark Comer talks about how nearly all great spiritual Christian leaders throughout history, both whether they're men or women, regularly practiced fasting. In fact, he goes on to say that many men and women of God who have been really used by God throughout history would say that without the practice of fasting, it is really difficult to reach a high level of godliness and holiness. There's a guy who um, leads, or he did, I think he doesn't lead now because I think he's, he's, he's much older, but a guy called Castellanos, he used to lead a huge, huge church in, in South America. And I'm not expecting any of us to do this but twice a year he would fast for 40 days at a time he would go without food for 40 days now I think if anybody does that you're going to really need to hear God on that one okay but he he would fast twice a year for quite a lot of years for 40 days at a time okay and and out of that he saw some amazing things happen He's one of the few modern-day leaders that have actually been used by God to raise the dead back to life. I think when you read people like Yonggi Chow, who led an incredible revival in South Korea, when you read uh, people like Billy Graham, who, who preached the gospel very simply to hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people across the world, these men not only knew what it was to pray, but they knew what it was to pray and fast. Billy Graham actually said these words once in one of his writings. He said he described fasting as a spiritual experience that drew the believer into the presence and closer to God. I, I just want to share a little personal story um, from my own experience um, when I was in my late 20s, I was uh, the youth worker for a church in South Essex, and I was on staff in this church. And the lead, I was also on the leadership team at the time as well, and our senior leader said to four or five leaders of the church, I think we should go away for a five-day fast. And he got that kind of response. Um, <laughs> It was like, it was quite silent when he suggested it. So we all agreed to it and we all went to West Sussex. We were living in Essex. We traveled down to West Sussex and we spent five days with, with monks. We went to a monastery, a Catholic monastery. We spent five days living amongst these guys. And I can remember Beryl smiling because her husband, Mike, was the one that suggested it. Um, and um, I, I remember when we got there on the Monday, we were, we were there through the Monday through to the Friday. I remember, like, it was, I have to be honest, it was a stunning environment. There was like hundreds of acres of beautiful grounds. There was gardens everywhere and, and all that. And I get shown to this little room and there's this single bed, very basic, and there was this little wooden bedside cabinet and a chair. And I, I take my bag in. I'd got no mobile phone on me. I'd got no Maltesers in my bag, um, anything like that. And I, I find myself in this little room, and all of a sudden, I was the grumpiest 28-year-old in the world. Because I was now going to spend five days not eating, and I had to be in silence. You would walk around the gardens, and all these monks didn't talk to you. And I think, for goodness sake, get in the real world, that's what I was thinking. And I, 
for that first 24 hours, 36 hours, I was angry and grumpy and miserable and I didn't want to be there and leading a youth work back in Essex was much more exciting. I'd much rather be in school speaking to kids about Jesus than being stuck in the middle of the West Sussex countryside with a bunch of monks not talking and not eating for five days. And I was just like all over the place in my emotions and in my head and just not in a happy place. And on the second day of this, so we just kind of had 24 hours, 36 hours of silence and not even, we had one hour a day where we could meet together as a team to talk. And after 36 hours of being there, I go back into my room and and I can still remember this moment actually, I I just sat on the chair, I didn't want to kneel and pray, I was fed up. (laughs) And, And I just sat on my chair and I said, God, why am I here? What is the point of all of this? I've got another three days of this and I just... I just felt God say to me, I want to talk to you, Graham, about you. I don't want to talk to you about what you do. I don't want to talk to you about ministry. I want to talk to you about you. And in those next two to three days, God began to draw me closer to himself. He began to reveal himself to me and he actually began to highlight in my life some of the things about my character, some of my attitudes, some of the ways and things that I was struggling with, little sinful issues and habits in my life. And for the next two to three days, God did a number on my life. He spoke into the very depths of who I was. And then I, as I came out of that time, I realized that we often live in a culture where our God is our stomach. If you go on TripAdvisor and you read reviews of people who don't like a hotel or don't like a holiday resort, the number one complaint is food. The food was rubbish. Food is such a massive thing in our culture. And I'm not saying that's wrong, but I'm looking forward to lunch, aren't you? We, we live much of our lives around food. And often we enjoy our best moments with friends around a mealtime. I was at a wedding yesterday and it was good food. And I was talking to one of the guys who was at the wedding and he's going on holiday with his family this week. And I said, I hope you have a nice holiday. And do you know what he said to me? He said, I hope the food's good. (laughs) Food's really important. And Paul talks to the Philippian church about this. And in Philippians 3 verse 19... He talks, he says, their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. And I think what I discovered in that little five-day five window of my life there in Sussex was that everything about those first 24, 36 hours was all about me. I was hungry, I was a bit fed up, I was a bit angry, I was a bit grumpy, I didn't want to be there because I wanted food. And all of a sudden, God had to really show me that he wanted my attention. And I think that one of the things that fasting does is that it actually, if we're serious about the spiritual discipline of fasting, it gives God an opportunity to grab 
our attention and to speak to us about where we're at as individuals. And I think that when we become serious about this discipline of fasting, and when we get into the habit of fasting, it gives God a beautiful opportunity to really get into the very being of who you are, to get into the depths of your soul, and to begin to talk to you about you. Not about what you do, not about necessarily the things that you do for God, but about you as a person. And what happens, I think, in those moments is that God begins to reveal the nature of who Christ is in you. And you begin to realize all of a sudden, Jesus, I want to be more like you. And of course, when the desire, for our life, the desire of our hearts is to become more like Christ... What happens? We begin to grow in holiness. We begin to become transformed by the Holy Spirit to become more Christ-like. My second little thing that I want to throw at you for you to go away and ponder today comes from Pope Gregory I. Pope Gregory I came up with, um, and it's coming up on the screen right now, um, Oh, no, no, it isn't actually. Did I take that out? I think I took that screen out. Don't worry, that's not a problem, but I'm going to talk to you about it anyway. Pope Gregory I came up with a list of sins that are commonly known as the seven deadly sins. All right? And the seven deadly sins, how fascinating. Gluttony, greed, anger, laziness, there it is, pride, envy, and lust. And there is some risk, there is, God bless you. Is that Michelle Clark? I wouldn't work with Michelle, I tell you. Uh, gosh. If that had been me, Michelle, Michelle said, could you not sneeze a bit quieter, please? Okay, so, so, so Pope Gregory comes up with these seven deadly sins that actually became quite an important part within the Catholic Church at the time, Okay. And there is some research that suggests that if we deal with gluttony and greed, there is a knock-on effect on all the other ones. There is some research done that for people who have really learned to not be greedy and not be those of gluttony, actually can have an incredibly positive impact when it comes to sexual immorality. And um, I just read a little bit about that this week. I won't go into any detail on that, but I just found that quite fascinating, that within the seven deadly sins, two of them, which is quite a high percentage, there's gluttony and greed. And I think that one of the, one of the strongholds of our world today is this pursuit of things and therefore the desire to become greedy or to want more and I think when we get serious about the discipline of fasting it gives us an opportunity to allow God to examine our hearts to search our hearts and to see what is not of him within us and hopefully help us to live more holy lives let's let's read a few verses I've got seven or eight minutes left of my time and I just want to read these verses and I just want to leave you with a thought to go away with today, okay, that I think will help us. So there's a bit of a Bible reading coming up now. I'm going to read nine verses, but I think it's worth reading. Romans chapter 7, 
Um, and it's a very, very famous chapter, Romans chapter 7, and it's probably words that many of us have uh, read. I'm going to ask a question after I've read them, okay? This is what Paul says to the church in Rome. I do not understand what I do. <laughs> For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, no, as it is, As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me, that is, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good that I want to do, but the evil that I do not want to do. And this I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, It is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. Have I already read that bit? No. So I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. That's quite a lot there, isn't there? And then Paul says, What a wretched man I am! Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? How many of us this morning have this battle going on inside of our lives? The things that we want to do, we don't do. And the things that we don't want to do, we find ourselves doing. And we feel this battle going on inside of us and often we have this self-defeating cycle we get in we get stuck with that has to do with our inner self and if you read Paul's letters to the churches you will discover on quite a lot of occasions he talks about this thing called the flesh He's not actually talking about my skin or my bones or my blood. He's actually talking about the inner person, the person that I really am. And the Bible is really clear on some things. Paul calls this inner person our sinful nature or our flesh. It's the part that stops us living by the Spirit. And I think, and my last two slides are coming up right now, okay? Here's the big one, all right? You should all be able to see this one, okay? Even I can see this with my eyesight, okay? Um, There's this brilliant little phrase in Practice of the Way, which is called, starve the flesh and feed the soul. And I think one of the dynamics of the spiritual discipline of fasting is that we starve the flesh. We starve this inner person, We starve this sinful nature. We don't give into it. And out of the discipline of fasting, we begin to feed the soul. Paul calls that inner flesh or that inner, that sinful nature, he calls it a body of death. And yet at the same time, we're also a temple of the Holy Spirit. In other words, on one hand, we are a home where God dwells. And yet we are constantly affected by this pull to follow the, the, the sinful nature or sin. And the flesh, 
represents all that goes on that is deep within ourselves. Paul writes to the Galatian church in Galatians 5 verse 24 and he says, those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. In another one of his letters, in Corinthians I think, he says, put to death the sinful nature and whatever belongs to it and then he lists a whole load of things and guess what's in that list? Greed. Sexual immorality is in that list as well. In Romans 8, verse 13, he says, If you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the flesh, you will live. And I love that little phrase. I'm just going to finish with this. that He says, If you live by the Spirit, you will be able to put to death the flesh. I don't know if you've ever started the year and made a New Year's resolution. And it's all around willpower, isn't it? You know, I will not eat as much chocolate this year. Or I will really seek to keep within the speed limit. Or, don't worry, they're not my vices. Okay, um, but, but maybe at the beginning of a season in life, or at the beginning of a year, we make new... But this isn't about willpower. Willpower is not enough. We have to learn to live by the Spirit. And to live by the Spirit, God is asking us to practice the things of the Spirit that will enable us to become more like Christ and to deny ourselves and to live and grow in the whole dynamic of holiness. And I 100% believe with all my heart that fasting is one of the greatest spiritual um, disciplines of helping us to deny ourselves, to take up our cross and follow Christ. My last slide just says this. I actually have discovered, and this is a personal thing, when I have in my life, and I want to do this more, I I dip in and out of fasting, if I'm honest. I try and fast most weeks, but there are times when I fast for two or three days and I want to do that more like I said I'm not on a pedestal here today I find it as challenging as anybody else in the room but one of the things I've discovered when I have disciplined myself to fast regularly is that God reveals what's in my heart and that's what he did in that monastery way back at the age of 28 and that's what he did a few years ago when I had a sabbatical God began to show me some things about me and began to deal with some things in my life. And I guess, ultimately, the desire for all of us today is we want to be like Jesus, don't we? We want to pursue a Christ-likeness. And I do believe that the spiritual discipline of fasting helps us grow in holiness for us to become more like Christ. Richard Foster, in the Celebration of Discipline, says... This beautiful phrase when he talks about fasting in his chapter, he says, fasting reveals the things that controls us. Fasting reveals the things that controls us. And I just want to, I don't want to bring any condemnation to us this morning. For maybe some of us, we've never fasted. Maybe for those of us at the other end of the, the spectrum, we fast regularly. Maybe we do it once a week. Maybe we fast for two or three days at a time or we have longer periods of fasting. But what I would encourage you to do is to develop a life of fasting. To develop the discipline of fasting within your life. Because I think in that, God begins to 
examine our hearts, examine our lives, show us who we are, reveals Christ to us and draws us to a place where we can become more Christ-like and therefore grow in holiness. So quite a challenge. I don't pretend that this is easy. But I want to encourage you, as much as you love praying, build fasting into your life. And there's lots of little aids in the material that we're going through right now. Sam and I talked this week about how we, at the end of this three weeks, we might put a, a little kind of package together to send to everybody with some helps. But I want to encourage us all this morning, look to build the discipline of fasting into our lives and just see what God might begin to show us about ourselves and lead us into becoming more godly and more holy. Bless you. Thanks for listening.